This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Article 27 of the Belgic Confession. We'll read that together. The title, The Catholic Christian Church, it's on page 510 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed by his blood, and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end, for Christ is an eternal King who cannot be without subjects. This holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. Yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. <clears throat> Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Bible often compares the people of God to a flock of sheep which you can find lambs, ewes, and strong rams. The Lord is compared to their one shepherd who uses his voice to call, to gather, to lead them to still waters and green pastures. The shepherd keeps them safe from unloving hired hands, wolves, and even selfish sheep Arise up from among them, like you can read in Ezekiel 34. The shepherd carries little lambs in his arms, Isaiah 40. He goes out and he looks for sheep that lose their way. And he knows that he has other sheep who will eventually also join the flock in the sheepfold, like we read in John 10, verse 16. And although the sheep may be of different colors, black, brown, dappled, and white. And the sheep may have different temperaments and be different ages. In essence, they all share in the fact that they are sheep who have been chosen by the shepherd, called by name, and led to safety. Although there may be different groupings of the sheep so that no one sheep can see the extent of the shepherd's entire flock, the shepherd knows those who are his, has records of all those who have been or will be under his care. He knows the complete number and ensures that every sheep passes under his rod and staff as they make their way into the sheepfold. And you can read that beautiful imagery in Ezekiel 20, verse 37. Well, this illustration helps us to understand what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21, and a lot of you have just learned that or are learning that for the regular catechism instruction. 
where we say that the church exists because the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word in the unity of true faith, a church chosen by God before the foundation of the world for everlasting life. And by God's grace, we confess that we are and forever shall remain a living member of that church. We confess that we are sheep in God's flock. And so we are a part of the work of the the triune God that has been clearly revealed in the Scriptures. And although we cannot see the, the fullness of the church before Christ returns, we believe and profess that there is one holy Catholic Church. And I preach to you this gospel that the church is the work of triune God, gathered in all ages, preserved in all dangers, and accessible to all nations. Well, we believe and profess that there is one church. Christ, our head in heaven, has only one body. The good shepherd has one flock. The church is compared in Romans 11 to one tree, Old Testament into the New Testament, all the way to today, or or John 15, one vine. The apostle calls the church in Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 21, the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The one church, we read, is holy, which means that it's set apart as a special group from the rest of the world, for it holds to the apostolic teaching of the gospel, and it reflects the holiness of the triune God who has called the church into being out of the world. This one church is also made holy and without blemish by the grace of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. And although this one church is set apart and it is holy, it is at the same time Catholic, which is a word like universal that means all-encompassing. Sometimes you can go to a hardware store and buy a, a universal part. That means you can use it on all the different brands. It's, a, it's all-encompassing. The word Catholic in our confession points to the fact that the church's teaching encompasses the full treasure of all that God has revealed to us about us and our salvation. And that as a result, the church has been, is, and will be the place that all kinds of people all over the world in all times turn to for that truth. And as the Lord revealed to Abraham in Genesis 22, verses 17 to 18, and we read that verse as we were coming into church today, the display text, the church is a source of blessing in all ages for all the nations of the earth. Since the church is Catholic, no one believer at any time can see the fullness of the church at any given time. Humans can always only see a part of the Lord's church. And so our confession 
concerning the church is purely an article of faith. It's something that, that we believe even though we're, we're not seeing it. And we believe it only because God has revealed the church to us in scriptures. Now the church is also not a building, but we confess it is a holy congregation and assembly of the true Christian believers. It's the, and sometimes it's called the church, and you flip it, that means an assembly or a congregation. So the church is not compared to the sheepfold, the shelter for the sheep, nor is it compared to just one sheep. But it is compared to a flock of sheep together with the good shepherd that gathered it together. Like we read in John 10 verses 3 to 4 and 14 and 16. At the same time, the church is not just an idea or a philosophical concept. Something that can be joined simply through agreeing with some theories. Sometimes you hear people say that I, I believe in God, therefore wherever I may be. I am a member of this so-called church. Just like another person might say, well, I am, I am a communist, and although I'm not actually on their register and I live in a capitalist country, I, I belong to that, that party, that idea. The church isn't a philosophical idea, but the church is an assembly of real people. Every part of Christ's Catholic Church is, is visible. It has gatherings and places that you can go to physically. It has order and discipline. It has officers chosen by the believers. The articles 30 all the way up to 35 that describe office bearers and order and, and sacraments, they belong to the church as much as articles 27 to 29 do belong to the description of the church. Well, this church then can be seen in all times and in all places of the world, in, in the real faces of real people who are worshiping the triune God in gathering from the beginning of the world to its end. Although we are only able to have a partial view of that church that we describe in, in our confession, we do believe that whenever we see Christians gathered together there, we see the church of Jesus Christ. And you know it is Christ's church by what those people confess and profess to be the truth. And that's what we explain so nicely in Article 27. The true Christian believers expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ. They are washed by His blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And note the use of the passive voice in our confession that, that highlights that it is work that is done within us by God who accomplishes His purpose, who, who's doing His work even without us. And since God has been working faith in the hearts of believers in all ages, and we, we read about that not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we also see it around us today. We are able to confess that the church has been gathered in all ages. The faithful believers in the Old Testament were and are members of the same one church that you are a member of. And Christ teaches us that in the future, 
whether through birth or conversion, many more people will be named as members of the church when they too bow before Jesus Christ as eternal king. And we'll sing of that gathering of all the nations in Psalm 87. As God gives faith to bring believers together, together, he also maintains believers in this faith so that his church is always preserved by his grace in all dangers. The one holy Catholic church exists in a fallen and a rebellious world. God's gracious work, we we read in Jesus' prayer in John 17, his work doesn't take us out of the world, but the world has hated those who have God's word because they are not of the world, just as he is not of the world. The distinction of the church from the world makes the church a target for the evil one. You could say a target even with, with clear boundaries. So that Jesus then talked to Peter about the gates of hell seeking to topple the church in Matthew 16, verse 18. Indeed, even today in our supposedly woke and tolerant society, the socialist, utopian dreaming powers and the self-centered so-called progressive liberals are finding they cannot tolerate the gatherings of true Christian believers. In many places in the world, leaders of states and other militant religions are burning and shutting down churches, forbidding the Bible completely, even even from the internet, and killing and kidnapping and torturing and jailing Christians because of their faith. Peter, James, John, Paul, and countless other martyrs, including many that the author of this very confession that we're studying today was ministering to -to face-to-face, they would tell you that very little has changed since they served God as members of his church, even with their own lives. And yet true Christian believers realize that this fury, and we sang a little bit about that in Psalm 46 too, this fury does not only come from outside the walls of the church and outside the covenant people of God. In his farewell message to the Ephesian elders, the apostle warned in Acts 20 that he warned the church that after his departure, and I'll read to you Acts 20, verses 29 to 30, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The example in our confession, when there were only 7,000 people left in the land of Israel among the covenant people who had not bowed the knee to Baal, that also shows us that, that there were thousands of covenant children at that time who were turning away from the Lord in apostasy. But that grand turning away, even from those who who know better, does not mean that the Lord is not preserving his church. When God preserves his church, as we confess he does, it doesn't mean that he preserves 
every single person who was ever baptized or who, who calls themselves a Christian or, or who regularly attends services in a church building. But it means, as you can read in Romans 11, verses 1 to 10, that he preserves a remnant. He preserves the remnant that is chosen by grace. If you look at Romans, you see this as a major theme. Not everyone who, has, who was circumcised as a Jew physically had a regenerate heart, he says in Romans 2, verses 28 to 29. Not everyone who is descended from Israel truly belonged to Israel. Not everyone who descended from church members truly is that true church. Romans 9, verses 6 to 8. When God promises to preserve his church, it does not mean that he will always keep things the same as we have known it or will always bless us with growth. Although it is frightening, sometimes God prunes the vine. Sometimes he cuts off dead branches. The Lord does not promise to preserve families intact. And there are times when the, when the faithful will have to leave parents and siblings and children to remain faithful to the Lord. We read that this morning in our passage that we read. He doesn't promise to preserve hypocrites. He doesn't promise to preserve those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and who have not received the Holy Spirit. But he does promise to preserve the true Christians from all the fury of the world, from the false teachers from our own midst, even from all the, the negative influence of fellow covenant children who are turning away from the Lord to serve idols. And then all this shows us how much we need to trust that God has everything in control. We cannot see the heart of every person, but God can. Every parent is praying that their children will always be in the church. Every office bearer prays that no one in their ward will, will turn their backs on the gospel. Every believer prays that rather than shrink, the church will always grow bigger and stronger. And so we hear a lot of voices from people who are very worried about what this pandemic and the restrictions are doing to the Emmanuel Church. And the concerns are often worded in a way that suggests that there is something that we as members can do to preserve Christ's church. It's not uncommon to be afraid of losing what we are familiar with. We want to hold on to, to all members and we're often willing to do whatever it takes to keep our children here and to keep our, our neighbor in. But do you know what? Do you know what we confess? The church is not a social group. It's not a family gathering that we need to try and preserve. The church is not our work, but the church is the work of the triune eternal God. And so when the Lord Jesus heard Peter's confession, he assured Peter in Matthew 16 verse 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed that his Father in heaven 
would keep them from the evil one by sanctifying the church in the truth. When Paul warned about the dangers threatening the church in that, in that speech in Acts 20, he didn't tell them to, to change everything to, so that we could preserve things, but he said, be alert. And then he commended the church to God. And here it says, he commended the church to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20, verse 32, commending the church to God in the midst of threats and dangers. In the same way, when the dangers threaten us, brothers and sisters, let us commend ourselves as as God's church to His grace and to His power and trust that He will preserve His church just as He promised. For a while, the Holy Church may look very small and we confess as extinct in the eyes of man, but we can know without a doubt that God's church will continue. We know that it will because the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ, has ascended already and he sits on his eternal throne and he is governing all things in in heaven and on earth for the sake of his church, we read in Ephesians. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. His purposes cannot be thwarted. The sheep that he died for cannot be lost. They cannot be plucked out of God's hand. Those whom he has gathered, he will also defend and preserve in all dangers. And the good news is that he is doing this amazing work throughout the entire world. It opens up our perspective to Christ's work when we see that he is accessible to all nations. If someone were to ask you to go to the, to ask you for directions to the headquarters of, of your local church, there's actually no place on the earth that you could direct them to go. Not to Jerusalem, not to Rome, not Hamilton where the Canadian Reformed Seminary is, not even to the next town that's going to host the General Synod. The Apostle explains in Galatians 4, verse 26, that for us who are free, our Jerusalem is above, and she is our mother. All believers, says Paul in Philippians 2, they have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners on earth, our citizenship is in heaven. The shepherd of this church is interceding before the Father in heaven. And he also reigns over heaven and earth from his throne. Christ Jesus, our King, and our head is in heaven. And he has direct communion with every gathering on earth where his name is adored. Since we are members of Christ's body because of our faith in Jesus Christ, It's possible to be a part of his holy church in any place, anywhere in the world. If you draw the line to any place in the world, you can draw a line to to heaven, up to, to where the Lord Jesus is. There's a direct connection. And so the church can encompass the world and be united by their head to their head 
in heaven. And so when we think about our worship and our gatherings here on earth, we should never begin from the starting point of the local church in which we are members, but rather begin with the head, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of salvation that is informing and guiding His people in all times and in all places in the world. And the only reason then that the different parts are together in this place is because we share one thing in common, which is our connection to Christ our head in heaven. You see, an eye and a foot, they have nothing to do with one another when they're just on their own. But when they are the part of the same body, then they become intimately connected to one another. And so it is also with the church. It's their faith in Christ that brings us together as parts. When God brought the believing immigrants to this city, Edmonton, they joined together on the basis of their common faith in the triune God. Not because of their common cultural backgrounds, because faith in Christ, our head in heaven, is that great glue that binds people of all ranks and ages and nations and cultures together. It is only when we lose faith in Jesus Christ, our head, that brokenness enters into our relationships to one another. And disagreements cause divisions between believers. The glue is missing when our connection to Christ is removed. And then we see that your faith in Jesus Christ precedes your relationships to one another as Christians. It's the reason for your relationships to one another. And that bond of faith is super glue, super strong. The ties of faith in the triune God connect us today to Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Malachi and Paul and Clement of Rome and Augustine and faithful monks and nuns and Calvin and John Owen and great-grandparents in the Netherlands and immigrants to Canada and church members all over the world today. And if the Lord doesn't return first, it also binds us to great great-grandchildren in 2,121. It's one church bound by common faith. Our common faith transcends the distance between your home, between the gym, the pew in the church building this afternoon, the, the bamboo shelter in, the, in Pacific Asia, and the rough brick, sweltering, hot little church building in the middle of an overflowing city in Latin America. We are all joined by the one common faith in Jesus Christ. Even as I am speaking, there are other Christians in other places in this city, in, in this province, in this country, then in different time zones, in different countries, in different climates, in different style buildings, also gathering in worship. It's, it's a staggering thought. And you could be in, in any one of those places, and even though you think, well, this doesn't really feel like the church I'm used to, you can know that it is Christ's church. It's a reason for great humility, a reason for great patience, a reason for great praise 
to our head, Jesus Christ. And although Christ's church on earth is never, ever, all together as God's people in worship, the, the geographical distance just prevents us from all being together until Christ returns. The church remains as the body of Christ wherever they may be gathered on this day of rest. The bond of our common faith in God that connects us to heaven is so strong that it supersedes all other divisions that so commonly arise when God brings together young and middle-aged and, and senior people with different political views, different experiences, different languages, different backgrounds, different habits, all together in one place. God is bringing us together. And it's the faith that supersedes the divisions. The bond of a common faith is able to hold us together even though today we may have different views on the ethical question of a proper response to the restrictions in our day. What a beautiful thing it is that people, even people with different views on civil disobedience, may yet profess their faith together with the words of the Apostles' Creed, standing up, willing to die for these very words, as we stand together wherever we're standing today. How glorious it is that the same God who comforted David in his flight from Saul and Paul on his way to prison in Rome also comforts us today as we sing the, the same psalms that Christ's church has sung together for hundreds of years in all those situations, that glue of a common faith. What a blessing it is to know that every one of us who truly believes in, in Jesus Christ will stand before the throne of God together with our children, even those children who may not have seen the, the light of the sun, together with saints of ancient days and millions of people we've never even met before, all joined and united with hearts and will in one and the same spirit by the power of of faith. That's what we confess in Article 27. That's what we believe. Brothers and sisters, don't you worry about God's church. It's His divine work. And He does His work perfectly. If the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, there is no government in all the earth that can destroy it. No pandemic that can interfere with God's plans. No power that can remove those whom God has chosen, called, leads, and protects. The fires of tribulation may remove the dross of those who don't really want to worship Christ their King in the small assemblies here on the earth. The hypocrites and the ungodly without the Spirit may not persevere in the smelting furnace, but the Good Shepherd will never let go of his sheep. And he tells us, Fear not, little flock. Though encircled by the night, God has given you faith in a risen, victorious, glorious King, Jesus Christ so that you are and forever shall remain 
a living member of his church, his body. Amen. We'll sing together now Psalm 87, all the stanzas, one, two, three, four, and five, and we'll sing those, that psalm standing if you're able to stand.